Imagine that you're on a tennis team and you're playing the team that won the championship last year. The name of the other team is the Red Devils, and they're very good. And the coach has uh, commissioned you to play first doubles. You and your partner are gonna play their best uh, doubles team. And um, they're very good. They, they both, uh, the other players have devastating serves and they're great with teamwork. They're just never out of position and you guys got a lot of work to do. You might say that the coach takes you aside to give you some provision to coach you. Go ahead to the next slide, please. So the coach has commissioned you and your opposition is the other uh, doubles team and he's making provision for you by coaching you. He says, look, both of you, both of you on your doubles team, you gotta work on your backhands. Both of them are weak and uh, you make a lot of unforced errors and when you do get the ball over the net with your backhand, it just kind of floats up there and it's not a very penetrating shot and so he works with you and he works on footwork and you turn your shoulders and he does drills together and you really improve and then the big day comes. The big day of the match, the whole other part of your tennis team is behind you. They're rooting for you. You walk out on court. You face the opposition and you win. Well done, good job. Now turn in your imagination from tennis to reality, Jesus's commissioning of the 12, they're facing opposition and the provision that he makes for them. They are fighting, uh, not the figurative red devils, the real red devil, when they face uh, opposition. But the Lord is with them, and he provides provision for them. So our text today is Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 32. If you have your Bible, go ahead and take a look at it. I'd like to show you how the Lord uh, gives us a commissioning, how we face opposition and he provides. First of all, the commissioning, though. And we see that in uh, verse 7, and then also uh, 12 and 13. And he called the 12, and he began to send them out, two by two. He is commissioning them for his work. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and he healed them. This is the Lord's commissioning. Now previously in the book of Mark, we have seen something like this. Way back in chapter one, he called them. Remember, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then in chapter three, he chose from among this great big crowd of followers, uh, the 12. He chose them, the Bible says in chapter three, that they would be with him and that he would send them out. And here in chapter 6, we actually see the, the actual sending out. So he has called them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He has 
uh, chosen 12 to be with him, and he here is sending them out. Now, let me suggest that this ancient story is not just an ancient story. Let me suggest that it is a template or a paradigm. In other words, he's still doing this today. He is calling. Some of you were children when he called you. I was 14 years old when the Lord called me. Some of you were in college. Some of you were after college. Some of you came through personal relationships with other people. Some of you, the Lord called you uh, after great uh, a study. You really wrestled with this decision to become a Christian, and you read and you talked to people, and the Lord called you. And some of you, perhaps many of you, he called you in the middle of trials. Yeah, the Lord does that often. He often calls us you know, he uses tragedy and trials and hard times. He uses it to show us our own weakness and our own need. But my point is, he's still in the calling business. The old hymn says, some through the fire and some through the flood, some through great trials, but all through the blood, the sacrificial death of Jesus. And then he has commissioned us, just as he commissioned the 12, to be with him. You are with him right now in church. You are with him when you pray. He is with you when he speaks to you in your conscience. He is with you when you walk outdoors and you revel in the great nature that he has created. He is with you and you are with him when a friend speaks to you, speaks the truth in love to you. When God uses a friend as his mouthpiece and edifies you and helps you follow him, helps you be his disciple. He commissioned them to be with him. He commissions you and me, to be with him. And then he also sends us out. Just as he sent out the 12, he gave them authority, go preach, go uh, uh, have authority over the demons, and he also sends us out. Their story is our story. So, go out. He is commissioning you. He is sending you to Amazon and Google and Wayfair and the Lexington Public Schools and he is commissioning and sending you to your family and to your running club and to your neighborhood. He calls. He commissions. And that is the paradigm of discipleship. And then what happens after he calls and commissions? Then what happens? Dun, 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 dun. Opposition. Opposition. This is actually the longest portion of our story. This is what Mark really calls our attention to. It's glorious to be called and to be commissioned, and what an honor to be his servants, his ambassadors, and then, bum, 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 opposition. 
Now we see this opposition in a very um, kind of a, a, a sophisticated way with Mark's narrative. What, what I mean is he actually gives us a flashback here in verses 14 to 29. The story is going along like this in chronological order. You know, normally that's how we tell stories. And we get up here and the Lord has commissioned his, his uh, 12 apostles. And then he takes us back, oh, at least a year or so to the death of John the Baptist. It's like Mark has deliberately taken that, you know, from the past and inserted it here into the middle of this, uh, this uh, flow of the story in order to say to us, yes, he commissions you. Yes, that's great. Yeah, hang on. Opposition. And the way Mark does this is with that uh, old Mark and sandwich. Remember, I told you about this. And this is actually the third one that we've seen. It's where Mark begins a story and then he'll stick another story in there and then he'll return to that original story. In this case, the uh, sending out of the 12 and then he'll come back to that. Uh, the, the 12 return from you know, being sent out and in between, we've got John the Baptist, verses uh, 14 to 29. Let me read part of that to you. King Herod uh, had seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of his wife Herodias because he was married to his brother's wife. His brother Philip was previously married to Herodias and then Herod married her and that was against the law. And John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, uh, the wife, had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not because Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, so he kept him safe. Chapter 6, verse 22. But, when, um, but, then, but then Herod gave a big party, a big banquet. They would do this pretty regularly in the Roman world. He'd, invite all your high nobles, all your military commanders, and have a lavish party. And the daughter of Herodias comes and dances before all the guests. And it pleased Herod and all the guests. Verse 22, Herodias' daughter came in and danced, and she pleased Herod and the guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. I think he's a little tipsy. She went out, and she asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. So the, the girl comes back in immediately and with haste, and she went to the king. She said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. What? What a violent twisted, debauched, ungodly ruler and banquet. Bring me his head on a serving tray. And Herod was sorry that he had, I'll give you anything you want, but he was embarrassed because he had made that vow and all his guests were there, so he said, uh, okay. 
and they sent word to the executioner. They cut off his head, and she brought it on a platter. That's a nice story. And Mark sandwiches it in there. Didn't even happen in that chronological order. It happened like a year or so before. And what is Mark saying? What is the the Holy Spirit through his apostle Mark saying to us? He's saying, hey baby, opposition. By the way, Mark, uh, this is in the context of chapter 6 also. Do you remember last week? The end of cha- uh, the, the beginning of chapter six, verses one through six, Jesus faced opposition. He went to his hometown, Nazareth. They didn't cut his head off. Not yet. It wasn't the death penalty. But his own family rejected him. And he said, "A prophet has honor except in his hometown." And so, in the context and with his mark and sandwich, uh, the Bible is showing us. Opposition accompanies discipleship. And this is a recurring theme throughout the New Testament. It doesn't end with Jesus' own uh, death and opposition. It just, you know, we walk in his steps, and this is, this is the way it is. Look at it in the book of Acts, chapters 4 and 5. The disciples are arrested twice, and the second time they're beaten Chapter 7, Stephen is martyred. Chapter 12, James is martyred. They stoned Stephen to death. When you think of the Old Testament and the the, uh, first century method of execution called stoning, don't think of like little, like like ping pong sized stones. I mean, this was capital punishment. They would take stones like this with two hands and throw them and hit them in the neck and in the back of the head and in the heart and opposition. James, they cut his head off just like John the Baptist. Chapter 14, 16, 17, 20, Paul faced opposition. He was driven out of cities. They beat him. They, you know, persecuted him. And then it continued in the early church. For example, 1 Thessalonians. When we were with you, Paul said, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. As you know, And the apostle went so far as to say to his son in the faith, Timothy, everybody who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this is a consistent message, this this opposition that comes to disciples. And we see it today also. This is our story, not just ancient history. Now in the West, in North America, in the West, we, we don't... We haven't yet come to that point. I don't know if we ever will. But in other parts of the world, like Sri Lanka, when this was Easter, how long ago was Easter? A couple months, right? I was fishing around on the internet to see how many people died, and I saw two different figures. One one source said 270 people, another one said 300. Now, as I say, here in the West, in uh, enlightened and modern and tolerant uh, North America, it's not like that, but uh, 
we may be trending that direction. And even now we have our own milder forms of opposition. Back in September when we were doing, uh, when we were preaching through the book of First Thessalonians, I read to you a dialogue. I'm going to read it to you again. Some of you may remember it. This is a dialogue from the new Phil Donahue show. It's a talk show uh, on TV. And Phil Donahue's guests were the, the rabbi Shmuley Boutique and Dr. Albert Moeller, who is the, pre who is the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. So a Jewish rabbi and a Protestant uh, preacher and a president of the seminary. Donahue starts uh, speaking to Dr. Al Moeller. Do you believe that Jews can go to heaven? Moeller. Southern Baptists, along with all other Christians, believe that all persons can go to heaven who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no discrimination on the basis of ethnic or racial or national issues. Donahue, you cannot possibly look a person in the eye and say that if you don't come to Jesus, you're not going to heaven. This reeks of prejudice. And Rabbi Boutique jumps in. Reverend Moeller, however of an intelligent scholar he may be, is a spiritual Neanderthal with repulsive, revolting views. Moeller. Well, all I know is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and that all who come there come by his grace and mercy alone. There's nothing in us to merit salvation, so humility has to be the Christian posture. Donahue. There is nothing humble about telling me I'm not going to heaven if I don't believe in Jesus. That's not humility. That's arrogance. Muller. It would be arrogant if this were our message, but if that's what the Son of God himself said, if that's the truth, then it would be hateful and it would be intolerant not to tell you what we believe to be the truth. I can't compel anyone to come to Christ, but I do have the responsibility with gladness and joy to share this good news of the gospel. Donahue, you can tell me about it, but you can't stand there righteously and tell me that you know what's good for me, and you sure can't tell me that there's only one way for me to get to heaven. Nobody is that smart. Nobody. Rabbi Boutique, you should be ashamed of yourself and it's time that you finally change. This is the Apostle's story, Mark chapter 6. It was the story of the early church. It is the story of many parts of the world today. It, it is our story. Opposition accompanies discipleship. All right, let's finish then with some good news, <laughs> provision. He commissioned them, he commissions us. They faced opposition, we face opposition. He provides. Let me show you his provision in our text. Companions. 
verse 7. He called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. Isn't that nice little touch there? Partners, companions. By the way, they continued that practice uh, uh, in the book of Acts and, and, and throughout church history, two by two, two by two. We need each other. We need support. And Jesus orchestrated that, and he sent them out two by two, and that's part of his provision for us. Do you have a friend, a partner, somebody praying for you? We need each other. It's part of his provision, because the opposition is there. We need this, and he has provided it. He's also provided authority, spiritual authority, it's not our authority, we're not, we're not so great, and we don't have power in ourselves, but he does, and he's kind of delegated it to us. Verse 7, he sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And we take great comfort in this, in this authority that he grants, and it reminds us of um, the great commission at the end of... Uh, Matthew, remember the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, teach and baptize, and then he says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are his representatives. We speak in his name, in the name of Jesus. There's an authority, and that's part of the provision he gives us. And we don't have to be afraid of the devil and the red devils <laughs> and his people. There's a humble confidence and authority when we speak in Jesus' name. As we sang earlier, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me, provision, in the whelming flood, the overwhelming flood. His oath, I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the age. His covenant, I have obligated myself to you. I, I have my eye upon you. I am with you. His blood, his sacrificial death poured out for us. Support us in the whelming flood. And then the provision can also be seen in what I'm calling exodus provision. That's a, that's a term that I made up. It's not in the text. Uh, here's what I mean. Verses uh, 8 and 9. When he sends them out, he said, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, a walking stick. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So what kind of commission is this? Okay, I'm sending you out. Don't take any food. Uh, the, the tunic was, was like a, an undershirt. It was worn next to the skin. Don't, you don't need two of those, just one. And don't take any money and don't take any food. Oh, make sure you got sandals on. You're going to be doing a lot of walking. They often went around barefoot uh, back in, in that day. Wear, wear sandals. You got to have a walking stick. And that staff also is a symbol of authority. 
And when we read this, this strange you know, commissioning, it reminds us of Exodus. There's a deliberate echoing here of Exodus, way back a thousand years before this, this incident, when, uh, when God was delivering the people of Israel from Egypt, remember the 10 plagues and the 10 commandments and the frogs and the lice and everything, and he sent them out. Here's what he said to them. Uh, this is Exodus 12. Uh, have your belt fastened, have sandals on your feet, take your staff in your hand, and I will provide. Remember how he provided? Guidance, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire at night manna, food. And so Mark is showing us that we're, we're echoing what I'm calling it an exodus provision. Just, just go obey me and I'll take care of you. Take your staff, put your sandals on. And then finally, finally, rest. This is the other side of our Mark and Sandwich, uh, uh, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. You guys did a great job. Your first assignment, your first field work experience. Okay, now you're all tired out and we're, it's so busy here, we can't get a minute to ourselves. There's not even time to eat. Come away. Rest. And that's a kind of provision. He makes provision for us with our physical needs, with our emotional needs. He gives us companions. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Do you remember on the, the night before he was uh, uh, betrayed and, uh, uh, and then crucified the next day? He said to the disciples, to the 12, I'm going away. You guys are going to be on your own, but I won't leave you on your own. I will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us today. The Holy Spirit reminds us of all things that Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit uh, empowers us and gifts us. The Holy Spirit is with us. This is provision. Physical, emotional, spiritual the provision of our great God. I am with you. Walk in my steps. Follow me. May the Lord help me and you, Crossbridge, to take seriously his calling and commission to think soberly about the opposition that is likely to be on the increase, but always to walk with him and draw our strength from the provision, provisions, plural, that he provides. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this inspired word that you have given us. Help us to walk with you and to know the fellowship that comes with you even when we face opposition. Through Christ our Lord, amen.